Nuclear proliferation. Global pandemic. Famine. Environmental genocide. War. Mankind teeters on the brink of a second dark age. Everywhere you turn, chaos, anarchy, and shadow. In these bleak days, under the fading light, where businesses and the little guy are left for dead on the side of the byway, and people cry out for the rule of law, humanity is at a breaking point where there is no light at the end of the tunnel, and everything good seems to have been barred, or banned, or barred. Two men offer up their voices in the darkness, a shining beacon leading the huddled masses into the safe harbor of good business practices and occasional time travel. Here are your hosts, the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham, and L. Bradley Sheaf. I'm a desperate man. Send lawyers, guns, and money. This shit has hit the fan. Buddy, there you go. That's, I think, apparently what our government is trying to uh, find more of these days. Lawyers, guns, and money uh, because we've got ourselves in a hell of a mess and no one said it better than Warren Zavon way back in his Excitable Boy album. Well, welcome everyone out there across the country, across the globe, especially those hardcore listeners in the Middle East rating us, reviewing us. We are here at IP Frequently, of course, the number one business podcast in the world, soon to be the number one uh, program on the cable radio network. So thank everyone uh, in advance for listening. Uh, we appreciate the fact that we continue to build our audience and build our audience we are doing, aren't we, Brad? Well, I certainly hope so. It, it seems like it. It seems like people are enjoying the show and that's a good thing. Yeah. And this is the home base for business owners. This is where you want to touch every day of your life. I had a friend when I was young, his name was Carl. And uh, Carl would, you know, when you're young, you go to the, the, the library, you go to the ballpark, you go to the basketball courts, you go to school, you go to the, uh, the restaurant uh, to play Defender and all that. But Carl, Brad, Carl, for example, if he had a day- Some of the C or a K? With a C. Okay. Um, if he had to go to the library to return a book and uh, then go to the basketball courts, he was incapable of doing it without returning to his house because he only knew how to get from point A to point B if point A was his home. So that's home base for Carl was his home. So it was A to B, A to C, A to D, all the way down the list, right? So yeah. he always went home and business owners always come back to IP frequently because it's the number one business podcast and it's the only place you can turn in these uh, days of woe. Well, yeah, and, and I think just to, to draw a bit of a distinction there, Carl's approach made him terribly inefficient, whereas our approach will make any small business owner much more efficient. Well, some would argue that, uh, that, that it was efficient in, in another sense. I mean, he, he didn't like to use public or third-party restrooms, so he would always use his home restroom, so it was efficient in that regard. Yeah, again, I don't I don't think I would I don't think I would recommend that approach generally. Sounds like a lot of, you know, covering the same ground 
but you know what? If you're a man who's tied to his personal toilet, I guess you, you do what you got to do. A man without a plan is not a man. I think that was Nietzsche who said that. Could have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, George yeah, Nietzsche, not the uh, not yeah, Carl George Nietzsche. George from the Bronx. Frederick George Nietzsche from the yeah. Bronx. Yeah, yeah. That guy. yeah, the guy who works down at the local 121. Yeah. Anyway, thank you uh, for everyone uh, joining us here this week. We're very excited to be back here at IP Frequently. And uh, Brad, the transition to CRN Radio. You and I have been in nonstop wall-to-wall meetings with the brass at CRN, with our production team, with our social media crew, with our producers, with our directors. There are some cast members that we've talked to this week. And I would say, if you had to choose, what do you think is going smoother? Our transition to CRN or... Uh, Biden's transition out of Kabul? Well, I mean, given that we've left no one behind, we've cost no one their lives, we've not left millions, tens of millions of dollars of weapons for the enemy to use. And I think we're on track to you know, fire up our first CRN performance on time and on target. I would say ours is going smoother. I think you're probably right. We may have left a little bit of radio paraphernalia behind for Larry Elder to use, but you know what? That's okay because he is now a colleague of ours at the Cable Radio Network, some of the great hosts in modern radio history. Hugh Hewitt, Brad, is on the Cable Radio Network. Uh, Love Hugh. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a polka hour that you and I will certainly be uh, enjoying. I think one of the requirements is new hosts on the CRN is that uh, we listen to at least 48 hours a week of CRN programming that's not ours. Oh, I thought you were going to say we had to listen to 48 hours a day. That was going to be tricky. No, no, we. So it's, yeah, it's look, okay. it, it's, I mean, some of it's going to involve listening at night, just like sure. low yeah. polka tunes in the background, maybe some fiddle music, um, some yodeling. There's a yodeling program. Outstanding. I mean, you know, I, there are very few around the world today who can look you in the eye and honestly say, I've had my fill of yodeling. It's like pie. Everyone loves pie. Not only at the holidays, right? Everyone loves pie. Everyone loves yodeling. Pie makes it a holiday. You got pie, you got a holiday. It's as simple as that. You can't have the 4th of July without cherry pie. You can't have Thanksgiving without the big pumpkin pie. There are apple pies. Many of them are meat pies or chicken pot pie. But what I'm trying to get at here, Brad, is that we are, you and I, are the mincemeat pie of the cable radio network. Is that a good thing? I'm not a huge fan of mincemeat. Never had it. Well, then, yeah, I, I have, and it's not good. So we might want to pick a different pie to be the pie of, if you know what maybe, I'm saying. Maybe like a pecan pie. I'm not a huge fan, but I would definitely prefer pecan pie over mincemeat, and I think many others would. So if you are a pecan pie guy, I'm happy to have that be our, you know, pie of choice, our, our, you know, sort of logo pie, if you will. My grandfather used to love a piece of pecan pie warmed up, right, and then a scoop of vanilla ice cream. Oh, yeah. My old man loves it as well. I'm just not a huge pecan guy. Could it be the fact that it's got about, for every little slice, it has about 2,500 calories in it before you even get to the ice cream? Could that be why, you know, we're not big fans? Well, it could be, but, you know, I mean, the old man has done himself no wrong in terms of his diet. He looks great. He's in his late 70s, still very likely to whip your ass if you get him sideways. So it didn't hurt him, the calories. But How is that uh, possible? How is that possible? I don't know. I think he's got a hollow leg or something. I don't know. Have you ever he's tried that? that? Have you ever tried that? My grandfather was the same. Have you ever tried that pie? Oh, yeah. No, I've, I have tried it. That's how I know it's not my favorite. 
but it's like uh, food. for those of you out there who haven't had it, and I don't think anyone's made a pecan pie since 1987. Um, it's like taking a big one of the you know the big hoop heap, heaping scooped spoons, putting it in the granulated sugar, and just funneling like four or five of those. Well, isn't it like nothing more than the nut itself, like in molasses and brown sugar? Isn't that? I mean, you make some sort of concoction into which you put the nuts, and then you pour it in a pie shell. And yeah, it's not short of calories, whatever that stuff is. Very sweet. It's a very sweet pie. Yeah. So maybe we're like a, a steak and kidney pie, but I, I, we're, I'm getting away from the main point, Brad. The point is we are now, uh, after intense negotiations, preparation and negotiation, joining the cable radio network family. We've told all of our IP frequently listeners out there about this. We start, we start on September 18th. We're very excited. We're bringing uh, high-level blue-chip uh, sponsors along with us. And uh, we will be on the uh, radio network of the next governor of California, Larry Elder. Yeah, and we we have a set time too, don't we? I mean, I know we're starting on the 18th. What what is the uh, tell the people the time, David? They need to know that. Well, Brad, I think it's uh, starting on the 18th at 10 a.m. Eastern. Correct. Well, yeah. is there any other time zone? You always start in the east, nine central, then you move backwards to the mountain Pacific. Well, I suppose that's true if you're on the East Coast, but if you're on the West Coast, you would probably give the time that you're most familiar with. Yeah, but neither of us are on the West Coast. That's true. Neither of us on the East Coast, for that matter. Well, I mean, you never know. Well, currently, I can tell you for sure, neither of us are on the East Coast. Well, again, I I don't know that. And I would say that we have uh, got the prime slot so that we can sort of get the news out early in the day, really early in the day on the West Coast, and then people react to it. That's what I that's what I like to see. Like people just seeing what you're putting out there, right? You're like a starting picture. You know, you're going out there, you're nibbling at the corners, you're taking the curveball, maybe a splitter, not a spitter, because you can't do that anymore. You know, you're working the plate, you're working the umpire. Maybe you throw the first but I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing. But you know what? By the third inning, everyone is paying attention to you on the mound. Your histrionics, are you working the ball? Are you working the count? Are you working the fans? Are you working the matter? Who knows what you're doing? Who knows? But you're making 25, 30 million a year as a starting pitcher in baseball, and you're working through your mechanics. Okay. And that, how does that relate to the uh, radio program? Well, it relates to the radio program, Brad, because you and I are setting the tone. We set the tone in the podcast, IP Frequently, and now we'll be setting the tone on the CRN uh, family of, uh, of, of programs, the network, if you will. And uh, we'll be getting out there bright and early, right? Bright and early, um, talking about things that everyone throughout the day will then be talking about throughout the weekend and throughout the week. And we will still be delivering, Brad, we'll still be delivering uh, an IP frequently podcast every week. Yeah, I mean, that's the best part is you lose nothing. It's all game. Yeah, it's more entertainment. It's more family fun. You get the family around the big radio in the living room. You get the, you get uh, Grandpa um, Earl in there. You get uh, Grandma. You get the aunts, the uncles, some some people that don't have the big radio. You huddle around there. You listen to old FDR, maybe with his fireside chat earlier in the morning, and then you listen to IP frequently. And there you have it. Yeah, it's a family bonding event. Yeah, at least it should be. I mean, people should make it that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what the podcast is all about. And I just heard a couple of weeks ago from a listener in Afghanistan, a shepherd, who um, would huddle around a little uh, a little radio they found in a, in a field. And they would, the only thing it would tune to 
uh, really two things would be uh, IP frequently and the Alan Dershowitz podcast. So obviously they defaulted to us. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's not a real contest there, as we like to say. Not really, but strangely enough, several of the shepherds started wearing ascots like Claude von Bulow soon after that whole incident. Huh. Yeah, I've never been a bit of ascot guy. It just seems like an unnecessary, you know, addition to any wardrobe. Plus, you know, you got something tied around your neck, and just yeah, I'm, I wouldn't go there. But you know what? To each his own. You have to have a lot of money, right? The only two people I know that could pull off an ascot are Klaus von Bulow, right? It was a big time socialite who was framed for the murder of his wife, Sonny von Bulow, and uh, Thurston Howell III, played by the great late Jim Backus. Yeah, I had forgot about Thurston, but you're right. He was an ascot man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there it is. There it is indeed, my friend. There it is. So we've, uh, let's see, we've covered baseball, we've covered ascots, we've covered the von Bulow tragedy. Uh, so far, so good. Oh, some people wouldn't call it a tragedy, Brad. Again, Klaus did very well in London society for the 30 years he lived after the whole trial, the second trial, the retrial, and the appeal. Yeah, well, I think his wife would call it a tragedy. Well, she couldn't. She was in a vegetative state. Yeah, hence the tragedy. Yeah, I guess Gershowitz there would rest his case, Brad. I, I think he would. I think he did, in fact. So, I mean, there you have it. Uh, Brad, next we get to our newsreel segment, award-winning. We can't mention all the awards because some of them are super secret double probation awards, but there are awards associated with this. It's like going into an old black and white movie theater back in the 1920s, putting your quarter in the slot and having the bed shake and then seeing a newsreel of current events like Woodrow Wilson, uh, the Coolidge Boys, the Roosevelt, Woodrow Wilson. Like, I mean, you, you know what that was like. Yeah, I, sure. I mean, who doesn't know what that was like? especially in this day and age. Someone would say those were the glory days in this country. Uh, many would probably say that, actually. Especially anyway, the direction we're headed now. Yeah, it seems like it. We start out where we left off. Af Afghanistan, the fallout continues. The president uh, had spoken a couple of times this week. Uh, he's talked about uh, the fact that he is now succeeding in getting us out of America's longest war, which I think is kind of ironic, right? Because it really wasn't a war anymore. It was just sort of an occupation, but... Uh, Anyway, uh, the fallout continues this week. We have uh, Americans left behind. We have Afghan uh, families who assisted America left behind. We have service dogs left behind in locked cages. I mean, what, a, what an absolute mess. And it seems like every day with the news that comes out, uh, more and more it, it gets troubling for, uh, for the president. Well, I just, uh, I mean... I, I honestly don't think he gets it. And he's just being so poorly managed. And, you know, the, the press conference he had where, he, you know, he seemed to, to just be angry at everyone, like it was everyone's fault but his own. I mean, the tone was off. The content was off. And, and I just don't get, like, if you understand what's happening at all, you don't want to take the position of, hey, I'm, I'm an amazing president because I pulled off getting 100,000 people out of the country in panic mode, right? That's like hitting someone with your car while you're drunk driving and then trying to take credit for the fact that you, you know, put some pressure on an open bleed, right? Had you not been drunk driving and hit the guy, none of the rest of what you did would have been necessary. And you really shouldn't be taking credit for partially cleaning up a mess that you made. 
we could have evacuated everybody out of Afghanistan had we just done it in an orderly fashion. I don't think there's anyone who doubts that we have the capacity to manage about anything we want to manage, or did at least have the capacity to manage about anything we wanted to manage in Afghanistan, right up until the time somebody, it was like someone shot a starter's pistol and every American service person, every official American just ran out of there as fast as they could, created a huge disaster. And then we had to backpedal as, again, as hard as we could, just in an effort to get out the people that we got out. And somehow we're, now we're claiming that as a victory. I, I don't get that. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't make much. It doesn't make much sense. You're exactly right. It's it's of his own doing. And my question is, how has no one been fired? Right. I know this is the land of um, subjectivity, and there is no truth anymore. Um, there are no facts anymore. You you just have to spin literally everything. But how can anyone look at this and say it's not an unmitigated disaster? And how is every single foreign policy um, official in this country still employed, right? How is someone not out the door, whether it's Millie and the crazy walking away from the, the primary air base in Afghanistan and just defending the, the, the commercial airport, or the Secretary of Defense who's walking around talking about white privilege, or the president, quite frankly, I think you're right. I think he, he, is, he doesn't even know where he is. But... Um, you know, where, where, is, where is Congress on this? Why hasn't there been an investigation launched? Why hasn't there been hearings? Uh, certainly if this were the Trump administration, all these people would have been, would have been dragged up. And I'm gonna say as, as business owners ourselves, and we do run a successful business, if this happened on our watch, people would be gone. Oh yeah, well you'd have to. I mean, he, 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 one, it's just sort of your moral and ethical obligation. Right. I mean, if if you look at the, the only way that you don't fire anybody is if you look at a situation and say, yeah, that's what we wanted. Or you say, well, it's close enough to what we wanted. Guys are trying hard. I think we did the best we could. That's the only situation in which you can stand pat. If you have an unmitigated disaster, you either do nothing because you're an idiot. Right. Or you do nothing because you don't know what to do. Right. And, and I think, unfortunately, our senior administration falls into both of those categories at this point. Right? I think they literally don't have any idea what to do. They're not particularly bright. I, I mean, again, I, I maintain the position that President Biden is just has you know, jumped the shark. I mean, I, I honestly don't believe he really knows where he is, what he's saying, why he's saying it. He repeatedly makes it clear that he's being dictated to, you know, I'm not allowed to take questions or this is the order in which I'm going to take questions or I'm told I should take questions. I mean, what, if you're the president, those are not words that should be coming out of your mouth. Right. So I completely agree with you in any well-run organization. If you have an unmitigated disaster that your business experiences, then as the leadership, you would unquestionably have to make changes. Right. And, and maybe you're in the enviable position of, of potentially not having to fire anyone. Maybe you can move them around. Maybe you've discovered somebody's not right in this position or that position. But in this case, at this level, uh, with the experience that supposedly all of these folks have, from the Joint Chiefs of Staff to the civilians running the Defense Department to state to the the presidential administration, heads just have to roll. And the fact that none have either 
says, well, they think this is fine, that this, this went exactly the way they wanted it to go, which is incredibly hard to believe, or that there's just not the leadership in place to make those hard decisions. There's no backbone there. And if that's the case, then just fasten your seatbelt because we're just going to hop from disaster to disaster to disaster. Yeah, it could be both, right? It could be it could be no leadership and the fact that they think this was pulled off without a hitch. But he goes to Dover Air Force Base, right, to, to greet the families and the bodies of the soldiers that were killed, right, because they were defending a commercial airport. And he gets out there, he brings cameras with him, which is something Bush never did. I, I don't think Trump ever did it. I, I don't think Obama did it either. But he brings cameras with him. And then he's filmed a bunch of times looking at his watch, and then he meets with the families. They, I, I saw one interview with one of the uh, dads of one of the the, the, the young men who, who was, was tragically killed. And he, he, he was clearly angry, and he said he, he, the president wanted to meet with him, and he still met with the president. And he, he, he brought up the fact to the president that this is something that should never have happened. And rather than be you know, consoling and, and be kind, he said the president brought up his, his son, Bo, right, who, who died of brain cancer never years. He was a lawyer and part of the Army of the Reserves or something. And, uh, and then the father said, look, I, I appreciate that your son died, but this is really about my son whose body is right over there and not your son. And then I guess Biden got hostile and started yelling at the guy. And uh, I mean, that, it, it's, just, it, it's a deep sensitivity to um, the, the sacrifice that, that these young men and women had made that the president has and his home base, you know, getting back to home base, is always his dead son, which tragedy, it's terrible. It, he, he was 46, but it has no relation to any of this stuff and seems to be just a deflection mechanism whenever he gets into hot water and doesn't want to deal with the facts as they are laid out before. Well, look, credit where credit is due. I think I said a couple of weeks ago, Biden wasn't going to talk to the families. And he did, but of course, he turned it into a public relations thing, right? I mean, as you said, he brought cameras. He wanted to be seen there. Of course, he didn't really have the time for it, obviously, because he kept checking his watch. I guess he had something else he had to do. But what you get out of this is what you always get from Joe Biden, right? He doesn't care about anybody that isn't going to vote for him or can't line his pocket or his piece of shit son's pocket. Right. And again, Bo's death is a tragedy. He served honorably in the military, but he wasn't killed in combat. He returned from his service, which we always hope all of our troops will do. And he tragically died of brain cancer. That that's that that is a horrible thing for any parent to have to endure. But it's apples and oranges to the situation here. And to your point, all Biden does is he, he doesn't he doesn't have the moxie. He doesn't have the personality. He doesn't have the core of humanity to be able to step into a very difficult situation like that. So he, he basically doesn't. He just brings up his son. He hopes that, that that'll work like it typically does where people you know now feel awkward. They don't want to talk about it. But it's apples and oranges to this situation. And if he was a leader, he would have gone there without fanfare. He would have dedicated whatever time was necessary to be the president and the commander in chief, he would have dealt with those families with compassion, with concern, with 100% presence, not as though he had something else to do. And he would have listened at least 10 times as much as he spoke. 
right? And and he just is incapable of that. That's not who Biden is. It's never been who he is. He blusters. He lies. He, he you know accentuates his own personality. He talks about accomplishments that he's he's never accomplished. I mean that that that's who he is, right? That's who got voted in to the, be the president of the United States. And so now, you know, we're living with that. We're living with that operationally as we see what's happening in Afghanistan. And we're living with that personally as we see how he just makes a complete mess out of what should be a very solemn occasion and one taken exceptionally seriously by the commander in chief. But he, he just doesn't have it. He can't do it. Uh, next, Brad, in Newsreel, uh, the $3.5 trillion human infrastructure bill has hit a roadblock as Democratic uh, senators are voting, are saying they're going to vote no, including Joe Manchin. And so now the woke liberals like AOC, who I think is one of your favorites, um, are now saying that they're not going to vote for the infrastructure bill. So it seems like a lot of Biden's agenda here at home is hitting some uh, is hitting some snags as well. Actually, Manchin had a very interesting uh, op-ed in the Wall Street Journal today why he won't support the $3.5 trillion bill. It includes the fact that the country is so staggeringly in debt, and we've added six trillion to the debt just during COVID alone. That these governors are now giving away in contests for people who are getting vaccinated and, and crazy bailouts for municipalities. Um, but uh, it's it's nice to see uh, some some bipartisanship the other way, and uh, a senator who's like standing up and saying, you know, wait a minute, this is a lot of fucking money. Yeah, well, and it is, right? I mean, w unfortunately, we've gotten to the point where we can throw around the term trillion when we're talking about government spending, and it doesn't even turn any heads, right? I mean, people are like, oh, yeah, trillion here, trillion there. I mean, you know, do yourself a favor. If you haven't in a while, because there's a ton of ones that'll get your attention and are humorous and all that, you know, jump on the old interwebs and look up examples of like a trillion of this or a trillion of that. I mean, a trillion of anything is just an astounding number. And, you know, Biden and his crew have thrown out bill after bill with trillion after it as though there are no repercussions for that, as though it's just all upside and there's no downside. And I don't know Joe Manchin at all. I mean, I so I, I want to say that right out front. I don't know anything about him. I don't know anything about his family. Well, I don't know never, anything about his politics. Never never I've never him. met him, but I will say that he's got some balls. I mean, if nothing else, he is willing to stand up to his own party and say, look, you know, our responsibility, his personal responsibility as senators to his constituents. And he does not see upside for his constituents in this bill. And so, you know, apparently being one of few elected officials who actually has some grasp of what your job is when you are elected has said, I'm not, I'm just not doing it. I don't care who rants and raves. I don't care who, you know, pitches a bitch. I don't care who marches around in their high heels and complains like AOC. I mean, I've never seen her do anything productive. I've just seen her complain. And typically she does that completely out of context and with no historical literacy, but regardless of all of those folks, Manchin just, you know, he's done the same thing with the filibuster. He just says, I'm not doing it. It's not good for the country. It's not good for my constituents. I'm not doing it. And, and again, I don't know him from Adam, but I admire that. The, the fact that we've piled on you know, six, seven trillion in new debt in the last year is incredibly concerning. And eventually, 
you know, the economy is going to uh, is going to buckle. I mean, that's going to happen. It always does, uh, and when it does, I mean, that is that is um, you know, that's going to be a big problem domestically for the president. Let alone what's happening at the southern border, what's happening in Afghanistan, what's happening with. Well, it's the same crew, right? I mean, the same crew that brought you Afghanistan, that brought you the southern border, that brought you the just incredibly ham-fisted response to the pandemic. None of these people have changed. I mean, why we would say, oh, well, maybe he'll get the economy right, right? Or maybe he'll get an infrastructure bill right. Or maybe he'll have some sense of what's reasonable in terms of spending. It's the same guys. And again, you and I, I mean, we, we, we honestly do try to walk a middle road. We're trying to raise kids. We're trying to be, you know, husbands. We're trying to be business owners. We're not, you know, rabid conservatives. We're certainly not rabid liberals. We try to just call balls and strikes fairly. But I, I, I don't have a lot good to say about what the Biden administration has brought us or the current Congress and Senate that we have up to this point. I mean, it seems like legislatively we're just we're just stuck. We can't make any progress on the things that we clearly need to make progress on. Infrastructure being one of them. You don't have to drive on too many highways in this country to say, man, we ought to be fixing some of this, right? But I, I mean, legislatively, we're just we're just dead in the water. And on the executive branch side, it's just nothing but one shit show after another. It's, it's I, I mean, it's, it's almost comedic if it weren't so, you know, tragic. Yeah, if it weren't for Mayor Pete at the Department of Transportation, who's the only adult in the room, there would be no adults in the room. Who are we talking yeah. about? Who did you? Oh, yeah, I forgot about him. Yeah. Is he still in the government? I know, Brad. I actually saw some of his government-issued uh, uh, security guards driving him in an SUV to within a block of the Transportation Department so he could get out and get on his bike, which he took out of said SUV and then drove a block. Yeah, well, I mean, again, it's the same crew, buddy. I mean, they seem to have the same approach uh, to everything. Um, but you know what? That's probably all that we can take for this particular week. And so... We'll move on to something maybe a little less depressing. I be frequently the number one business podcast in America. Uh, David Pridham here with Brad Sheep. And Brad, uh, we always uh, do make it a habit of talking about uh, luminaries, dignitaries that pass from this earth each week. And this week is no exception. It's time for our RIP report, RIP, which stands for rest in peace. It does. Yeah, typically. In fact, I'm not sure of anything else it could stand for. Yeah, in this uh, segment, I should say the RIP report is brought to you by IPedia. IPedia, the automation of innovation, uh, handling all of your patent and drainage needs since 2018. Pre-pandemic. Yeah, pre-pandemic, very good with drainage. IPedia will make drainage recommendations. Sometimes it digs a ditch. Sometimes it goes French drain. Uh, it just really depends on where you are. You know, it's kind of what the undulations of your property are like as IPedia moves across it, maps it, makes a three-dimensional model, and then makes drainage recommendations. Except we will not do any um, septic recommendations after the debacle in May. Well, right. But I mean, that was a challenge, to say the least. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, sewage. Yeah, and that is still subject of an ongoing lawsuit, and I cannot comment. Yeah, nor, nor should we. Uh, this week, Brad, Ed Asner, Ed Asner, one of the great um, American actors of the last half century. Uh, Lou Grant, played Lou Grant on the old Mary Tyler Moore show, which, by the way, I was doing the math. I was sort of reverse engineering his life. And, I mean, the Mary Tyler Moore show, right, was more than, 
it started more than 50 years ago. So Lou Grant, Ed Asner was like 91 when he passed away or 95, whatever it was. That means he was in his 40s when he played Lou Grant on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Which was just a fantastic character, by the way. Amazing. Terrific. Terrific character. But I always thought he looked like he was 65 to 70. Yeah. Well, I mean, he he just had that way about him, right? He was the crusty old editor or producer. I can't remember exactly what his title was, but I mean, and that show was amazing. It's hard to say that, you know, he made the show. I mean, there were some great, obviously, Mary Tyler Moore, Ted Knight. I mean, there were some great uh, characters and actors and actresses on that show, but I, it would not have been the same without Lou Grant's character. He just, and he played that character perfectly. He was terrific. And he's one of the few characters that went from one show that closed up shop to another show. And he actually went from a situation comedy to a drama, the Lou Grant show, Lou Grant. Lou Grant, there you have it. One of the great shows on television. Yeah, he was great. He will be missed, uh, you know, in the acting world for sure. Yeah, in any event, um, uh, and as, and that means that the only remaining uh, cast member from the Mary Tyler Moore show, show who's still living is the uh, great Betty White. Betty White. She's uh, you, but Betty White's going to outlive the two of us, pal. Just I hate to say it. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, she is uh, America's sweetheart at this point. Indeed. Always has been, as I can tell. Certainly has been my whole life. Oh, yeah, the golden girl. Yeah. Uh, Next, the woke report, uh, Brad. This is where (laughs) we uh, talk about all things woke. Uh, This week, we're sort of taking a little bit of a different take. Um, We've got some advice, right, Ah. for you and I to follow. Okay. You and, I, you are, and listen, we are. We realize we have a platform here, where our platform uh, allows us to communicate with many different uh, business owners or business, depending on how you um, how you pronounce it. Correct. Yeah. So this week, Brad, um, the uh, advice comes in the form of a series of tweets. And again, this is something that we like to do when people are correcting us or anticipating that we're going to have a problem. Uh, I like to get out ahead of it. I know you do too. It's a series of tweets about, as you know, the planes from Afghanistan kept coming, kept coming with a lot of uh, people from Afghanistan who were brought to this country, correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so um, they're going to be, be assimilating into the country. Uh, there are already a number of different camps set up at different military bases where, where people are being processed and let out into the into the uh, into the country, but we have a, uh, a bit of advice from a uh, woman, Aman Ahmed Siddiqui, right? Who is a PhD student at Northwestern University. Ah, well, I'm sure she has plenty of well-grounded and founded on her own extensive life experience. I'm sure she's got plenty to tell us. Yeah, she is a she is a sociologist. Uh, she mm-hmm. studies immigration, culture, race, and ethnicity. Uh, mm. She also uh, is an Afghan food and recipe creator. Ah, well, okay, there you go. She wouldn't be doing that if she was currently in Afghanistan, of course, because no. um, that's not allowed. She being a woman, but I'm glad she can do it here. Uh, so, Brad, she's compiled a list of microaggressions to avoid with newly arrived Afghans. Ah, and, okay. Yeah, and she says, look, this is a delicate period of transition. These are microaggressions and can be hurtful to our new neighbor. 
Fair enough. Let's avoid them. What are they? All right. Let me get the pen out so we can take this down. We'll post this on the website too, by the way. We will We will put this up. Yeah, of course. And number one, Brad, don't call them Afghanis. Afghani is a word for the currency in Afghanistan, which I believe is now collapsed, and uh, is a slur by other communities against Afghans. Oh, the okay. The appropriate word for someone from Afghanistan is Afghan. And is the plural then Afghans? Afghans, I would assume. Okay, all right. Afghan, I guess it could be Afghani, but then that's a slur. Oh, that's a, yeah, see, that's, uh, we're not going there. Yeah, okay, all right, that's simple enough. We just dropped that last vowel sound. I'm good with that. Number two, don't ask an Afghan what their tribal background is. This is not showing interest in who they are, but displaying your interest in labeling them into a box. Okay, that should be simple. I wasn't planning on it. Number three, Brad, don't assume because they're refugees, they are uneducated. Many are professionals whose degrees and accomplishments are greater than yours. Uh, so they have to take up working class jobs because the American system uh, doesn't accept their accomplishments. Why would anyone assume that because they are refugees, they're dumb? Why would that ever be a problem? I mean, I guess it's a problem for her, I guess. All right. You're saying that's a microaggression back at you. Well, I don't know what a microaggression is, I'm going to be honest, um, but I, I, I don't know why we would assume that people are, are going to assume that because you're a refugee, you're stupid. I mean, my assumption would be you're a refugee because the United States government effed you, and you know, now we're trying to make good on that by taking you into our society, which I think is fine, but it certainly doesn't make anyone stupid. Yeah, well, I, I, there are a lot more of these. Uh, just because they speak with an accent doesn't mean they think with one. Um, these individuals are bilingual, and some of them are homeowners, uh, and they simply communicate in a way you're not used to. Get used to it. That's number four. What does that mean? What does it mean to think with an accent? I'm just reading what she said. Listen, listen. This foodie from Afghanistan is is telling us what we have to watch out for, and, and I'm I for one am making a list. Okay. All right. I don't know what that means, but we can go on to the next one. Don't ask them what their political views are on America. You don't ask a neighbor who they're voting for. It's the same courtesy. They've been through a more complex experience than you'll ever know. Well, that may or may not be true. I mean, some people like to discuss politics and she has no idea what complex experiences other people have been through. Um, but okay, that's fine. I mean, I, I typically don't ask anybody who they're voting for or not voting for. So Shouldn't be hard. And Brad, next number six, don't ask them if they're Shia or Sunni. Fair enough. Again, wouldn't cross my mind, but that's fine. Yeah, their, their personal experiences are much richer than you can imagine. Give them space to practice their religion however they feel comfortable. Now, I know, Brad, you um, don't typically do that with your neighbors. Uh, I'm fine with my neighbors practicing whatever religious practices they'd like to. I don't necessarily know that their background or experience is much richer than mine, uh, but... I suppose that doesn't matter. Number seven, don't bring nationalism and racism into a discussion with them. They're mourning the loss of their homes, Brad, and their social network. They don't want to hear about your political opinions. They're not responsible for the refugee crisis. Well, yeah, no, the liberals are responsible for that and are also the folks that seem just mandated by their own beliefs to have to ask other people about theirs. So I think she's probably talking more to herself than anyone else at this point, but again, that's fine. Don't assume, number eight, don't assume one individual is representative of every Afghan and every Afghan's experience. 
this is an unfair burden to carry and would be akin to a foreigner meeting one American and assuming you voted for Donald Trump. <laughs> Again, I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't think anyone, I, 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 perhaps she's experienced this, maybe this is what she does, but I've never met one person from anywhere and assumed everyone was like that person. It just seems like a silly way to go, but again, you know, I mean, it is good advice. Uh, number nine, Brad, don't expect them to immediately feel comfortable with you or trust you. The emotional toll they're experiencing is something you'll never know. It's quite intense. Well, how would she know? Good point. That's, again, that's only number nine. We got, a, we got a ways to go. Should we take a break? Should we throw it back to the people at CRN for a, a news break or so? Have we passed the hour mark here or what? I, I sort of hope so. I'm not sure how many more of these I could take. Number 10, Brad, do not assume that a woman is oppressed just because she wears a hijab. Okay, fair enough. Never have. This Don't think I'll start now. Your, this is protecting your biased viewpoint on her life. Uh-huh. Number 11, do not laugh or make fun of any attire they choose to don, uh, whether it be Afghan clothes, a different style of hijab, wearing hijab sometimes but not always, or not at all. Respect that you don't know everything about their cultural background, Brad. Well, what if they're wearing something they intentionally mean to be funny? Like, do they not have clowns in Afghanistan? What about an Ahmad stupid shirt? They could go right next to Dr. Iman Ahmad Siddiqui. Yeah, see, now that would be funny, and I would think that they would appreciate you laughing at that. Um, number 12, Brad, do not expect a personal thank you from them. Uh, their homes were destroyed, their lives at risk, and their families torn apart. Uh, providing humanitarian aid should not be done. Expecting a thank you, they don't owe you anything. Again, where does what these things are on her mind, which means she's got a problem. It would never occur to me to ask a refugee to thank me. It's, that's just weird that that would occur to you makes your head space odd. Uh, number 13, Brad, do not preach your religious perspectives to them, especially Christianity. This is awkward and uncomfortable, even if you are from the same religion it is. Uh, it's socially taboo to discuss religion with guests. The same applies here. So the scenario she's painting is you invite the Afghan refugees to your house, thereby making them your guests, and then you proselytize them. That's your that's your strategy. Right. Again, who who does that? Right. That must again. That must be something that has occurred in her world. It's never occurred in mine. Number fourteen. Do not all caps. Not assume they will immediately celebrate all American holidays. They may never celebrate those holidays. This is a new culture that they may not accept, and they're learning about it daily. Allow them space to decide how and when they'd like to learn more. Uh, okay. Number 15, do not feel a need to give them a personal crash course on America. Let them ask you questions if they want to. If there's something you notice that would be helpful for them to know, approach someone who they are comfortable with and discuss it with that person in private. Do not humiliate them by correcting their behaviors publicly. Again, not something that I think crosses most people's minds to do, but apparently it crossed hers. Number 16, this is a whole new thread of tweets that Dr. Aman Aman Siddiqui put out. Do not treat them with pity or an air of superiority. Uh, we are white privileged and we don't know the upheaval of their homes. We have infin infinitely more opportunities as a result 
and this doesn't make us a better person, Brad. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm. You know what? I'm glad this gal has you know found herself in a position where she can speak for every Afghan, where she has taken it upon herself to paint with as broad a brush as humanly possible to treat every Afghan as though they are just cookie cutter human beings who all hate the same things, like the same things, enjoy the same things, feel awkward about the same things. I mean, really only someone who has a PhD in sociology would be frankly racist enough to treat an entire nation as though one, she knows exactly what they like and dislike and that they all like and dislike the same thing. This is probably the most amazing example of racism that I've ever heard. 16 of them, apparently, or at least 15. Brad, hold on. We have number 17 here. Uh, do not discuss the latest news and headlines about Afghanistan with them. They very likely have PTSD and may make conscious efforts of how and when to find out about certain news items. They don't need your information. Well, maybe a headline for you can trigger an alarming worry about loved ones for them. Uh, again, uh, I, I'm glad she is able to define what each and every Afghan likes and dislikes. It's amazing. I wouldn't be able to do that for my just the, my immediate family. I couldn't tell you what they'd all like and dislike, but she's able to do it for an entire nation of people. Do not, all caps, ask their political opinions about different groups or individuals in Afghanistan. Do not mention the Taliban to them or ISIS. They will continue to carry a feeling of not being safe in America for some time. Discussing politics that has impacted their lives is very uncomfortable and you should do better. Yeah, number 19, here's one for you. Don't assume that you can speak for an entire nation of people just because one moron handed you a piece of paper that makes you a doctor of something. You're an idiot. And that, there you go, Brad. We've, uh, we've uh, reached uh, the, the point where uh, after 18 missions of Afghan microaggression correction, we have uh, determined that Dr. Ahmad Ahmed Siddiqui is an idiot. But we probably should have said that at the very outset. I'm sure people figured that out by number four. But you know what, Brad? We didn't judge. No, we just commented. That's our job. That's what we do. Yeah, and there it is. And, uh, you know, Brad, I think uh, at this point, we have um, reached the end of our proverbial rope here with Dr. Iman Ahmed Siddiqui. And also, we've reached the end of another episode of uh, IP Frequently. And there you have it. Another episode of IP Frequently in the Books. We hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as we've enjoyed making it. And we look forward to seeing you back here next week where we will eradicate even more microaggressions on IP Frequently. This has been IP Frequently. Once again, clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome. <laughs>